Okay, I'm recording on my end. Daniel, what are we doing? That's our producer, Grant Irving. I called him because after months of waiting, I got Big Willie Robinson's records from the military. Remember, Willie said he served with distinction during the Vietnam War. I became Special Forces Green Beret for the United States Army. Because technically, we didn't exist. We were like James Bond. Yes, we were trained like James Bond. Our bosses in Vietnam was the CIA. Friends and members of the Brotherhood of Street Racers heard Willie's stories of bravery. I remember something about jumping out of an airplane with a parachute. Willie was injured during a firefight. You got the Purple Heart. I knew what Willie and people close to him said. But I wanted to know what the military's record showed. So when a piece of mail came from the Army, I called Grant. We are opening a letter that came in the mail for me from the Department of the Army, U.S. Army Human Resources Command. It's actually a, a, a CD-ROM that they've sent. Big Willie did not fight in the Vietnam War. The Army's records show that Willie never completed basic training and was honorably discharged in 1966 due to a pre-existing medical issue. There is no record of Willie being deployed to Vietnam and serving in the Army Special Forces there. After months of trying to confirm his stories of valor as a Green Beret, the tales of covert operations and surviving an ambush, I learned that none of it could possibly be true. The story Willie told that impressed politicians and police? It's a lie. What does this change for you? Hmm. I don't know. I was stunned. The seams of Big Willie's story had come undone. From the beginning, I was fascinated by the tale of a war hero who returned home and accomplished something more incredible than anything he ever did on the battlefield. But maybe he was able to achieve so much because of this lie. Did he believe the ends justify the means? Or was his motivation more personal? I had to try to understand. I'm Daniel Miller, staff writer at the Los Angeles Times, and this is Larger Than Life, a documentary podcast about L.A. street racer Big Willie Robinson. Seeing proof that Big Willie was a liar was hard to take. And it made me think of reporting I'd done several months earlier, before I'd gotten the military records. I started seeing old conversations in a new light. Things that had once confused me now started to make sense. Excuse me, everybody. It's very important that I just speak to you guys. First, there was the video of Willie speaking at Otis Chandler's memorial service. In it, Willie appeared to discuss his initial encounter with the former newspaper publisher. Otis bought the streets together after the watch rides back in 1765, starting in 66. His West Magazine of Sunday Times exposed me. I just got back from Vietnam. Early on, something about the way Willie spoke about this seemed off. The way he stuttered over naming the year of the Watts riots. The way his thoughts unfurled sloppily. At first, I thought he could have just been nervous, speaking in front of a big crowd of dignitaries. Now, I realize maybe it was something else. Hey, Don. How you doing? Thank you. 
Then, there was my interview with Willie's younger brother, Don Ray Robinson. Even at the time, our conversation did suggest that something might be amiss, but it was hard to know what. All I knew then was that he reacted oddly to some seemingly innocuous questions about Willie's military service. Do you think that him being in Vietnam and having been a war hero, been successful over there, helped him in his career? Mm-mm. I don't do his career. What do you, what do you attribute well, him? I, you know what? Well, I, I just, I'm going to leave that out. I'm going to leave that part out. Why? Yeah, I'm going to leave that part out. Which part? The part that I'm not going to tell you about. My curiosity peaked. I circled back to this topic later in the interview. It didn't go well. I feel like if there's something that happened that was wrong or unjust or bad... It don't need to be told. Even if think it could make things better? No. Because certain things in life, you don't talk about. I don't think it's supposed to be talked about. Sounds like Willie's got something that... No, he don't. Don't put it like that. Okay. I didn't know why Don was so ruffled about a straightforward topic. It felt like his brother's military service would be something to be proud of, right? You know, it's just something about him that I don't want to talk about. Fair enough. Truly. I don't mean to push too hard. I just want to understand. That's all. Now, looking back, Don appeared to be trying to conceal the secret that I eventually found out. At the time, it was just strange and suspicious. To know for sure what was going on, I had to go to the source, the army. I'd always planned to file a public records request with the Army to see what I could learn about Willie's exploits. I figured anything I learned would burnish his story. So I made the request. Then I waited, and kept reporting. As I spoke to more and more people, it became clear that Vietnam was essential to Willie's life work. The story of his service was key to his relationship with the powers that be in LA, especially the LAPD, which backed his street racing efforts. And Vietnam was part of his metamorphosis into Big Willie, the leader of the Brotherhood. His sister, Jean Davis-Hatcher, chalked up his transformation to the war. He went more from a Malcolm X kind of mentality to a Martin Luther King kind of mentality. And I think it had a lot to do with going to Vietnam. And in interviews, Willie was explicit about how Vietnam changed his life, ultimately for the better. All this time I've been feeling guilty by coming home, surviving the war. And my buddies are still over there dying. And, and, and losing parts of their bodies. But I come home and I'm still in one piece. And so it dawned on me, God spared me from dying in Vietnam to come home and be Big Willie. Then there are the stories of Willie's heroics during the war. People told me all sorts of tales. The best-known one involves an incident that supposedly ended his time in Vietnam. Several people said that Willie was shot during an ambush, and as the enemy was closing in, his comrade came to his aid. And as live fire was taking place, from what I was told, he drug Willie back into the bush and saved Willie's life. When I first heard this story, it was one among many wild claims about Willie. But things that I'd been skeptical of were being validated. Willie's connection to Chandler checked out. Willie's connection to Mayor Tom Bradley checked out. Willie's connection to Paul Newman checked out. And Darth Vader and the Stormtroopers really did come to Brotherhood Raceway. I knew all of this, but I wondered what Willie's brother hadn't told me. I needed to know for certain. All right. <clears throat> I had to buy a 
CD drive for this. I consulted five experts, including a military historian and a veteran, to help me parse Willie's 23-page army file. I was dreading explaining Big Willie's deceit to the Brotherhood. But first, I needed to understand the record for myself. The very first page shows Willie lied. He always said he began his service in 1964, but the records show he was drafted in 1966. From there, the papers indicate there were immediate signs his physical condition would be an issue. His induction record lists back and feet trouble in a box where physical defects are to be noted. Less than a month into basic training at Fort Bliss in Texas, his health was reevaluated, and he got the lowest possible scores for his overall physical capacity and his legs. I asked Kevin Walton, a former Air Force communications analyst, what that meant for Willie. Some of the scores that he got off his physical tests, that that was most likely a disqualifying factor. That's right. The man with biceps as big as people's legs had medical issues that derailed his service. This was a shock. Willie's strength was his trademark, and no one ever told me that he had troubles like these. Within days of the test, Willie wrote a letter to the commanding general at the Army Hospital in El Paso, requesting a discharge for physical disability. Willie said he'd been notified that he was considered unfit for retention in the military service. A few weeks later... The paperwork he submitted asking for a discharge, and it was approved by the government, awarding him his veteran status, which is all what he earned, according to law. Willie presented himself as a hero, but he never even left the States. He received an honorable discharge almost exactly two months after he reported to Fort Bliss. There's no reference in the records to Willie being deployed to Vietnam and getting wounded there, or being a Green Beret and working with the CIA. Willie's friends bragged he got a Purple Heart. His record said nothing about it. Actually, there was no indication that Willie met any of the requirements to be in the Special Forces. I asked Walton, who was deployed twice, was Willie qualified to be involved in covert operations with the CIA? No, no way. He he didn't have the training necessary. His job code never progressed past basic trainee. And um, some of the physical conditions that they labeled on his testing made him unfit for service. You may be furious with Willie and disgusted over what he did. Or you may just be shocked. I know that feeling. The reporting on Willie's military records, that was the easy part. What came next, the task of making sense of the lie, this was so much harder. Immediately after I finished reviewing the records for the first time, Grant, our producer, asked me what I was thinking. He talked so much about his guilt over surviving the war. He felt guilt. And you can interpret that in a lot of different ways. You could interpret it like I think he expected people to interpret it because he told people he went to Vietnam and came home and he felt guilty over surviving. But his guilt over surviving the war, that could also mean that he felt guilty over his inability to serve, that here he was, this six-foot-six muscle-bound guy who had a physical disability that kept him from serving. And maybe he was ashamed of that. Military service is sacred in America. There's actually a law prohibiting pretenders from falsely asserting they've served their country, the Stolen Valor Act of 2013. It makes it a crime to fraudulently claim receipt of certain military awards with the goal of benefiting from them. Mary Shantag runs POW Network, a nonprofit that brings military fraudsters' lies to light. 
She feels that fake stories dishonor the real heroes. How do people know what war was all about? What we fought for? The blood that was shed? The grief for the family members? How do they know if all the stories are made up? Shantag believes Willie will always be... Somebody that used a false narrative to get wherever he went in life. The fact that he spent his days in fatigues and he spent his days telling a Vietnam story that cannot be authenticated, to me, it just crushes those that earn that. Do you ever wake up in the middle of the night drenched in sweat? I hate when that happens. My heavy cotton comforter was causing me to wake up multiple times a night, every night, just because I was so hot. Now with the Breeze comforter from Buffy, all that has changed. I get a better night's rest than ever before, and the comforter is so much softer than my old one. The Breeze's 100% plant-based design is actually breathable and keeps you at a perfectly comfortable temperature in a way that polyester and downfill comforters just can't. The Breeze is made out of eucalyptus fabric inside and out, so it's softer than cotton and naturally soothes your skin while keeping you cool. Plus, why not choose 100% plant-based bedding that's good for you and the earth? You can try a comforter in your own bed for free, and if you don't love it, return it at no cost. For larger-than-life listeners, we have an additional special offer. To get $20 off your Buffy comforter, visit Buffy.co and enter the code LARGER. Again, that's code L-A-R-G-E-R at Buffy.co for $20 off your order. How often do you think about your socks? If you're like I used to be, then not much. But I recently discovered socks that change the way I'll think about socks forever. They're called Bombas. Bombas are the most comfortable socks in the history of feet. They are made from super soft, natural cotton, and every pair comes with arch support, a seamless toe, and a cushioned footbed that's comfy but not too thick. With many colors, patterns, and styles, Bombas look great in the gym, at the office, and out on the town. And for every Bombas purchase you make, Bombas donates a pair to someone in need. I just looked through their website, and I was amazed at all the different styles. They have socks for every exercise type. Hiking, running, tennis, snowboarding, and more. If you also want your socks to look as sharp as the rest of your outfit, go to buyyourbombas at bombas.com slash larger today. You'll get 20% off your first purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash larger for 20% off. Bombas.com slash larger. If we're up to Shantag, a story paying tribute to Willie's accomplishments wouldn't exist. But other people with connections to the military saw things differently. Walton, who served in the Air Force for six years, acknowledged how tough it is to reconcile Willie's lies with the man he made himself out to be. But he ultimately was able to focus on the good Willie did. I think that he did great things, and I mean, it's my city now, too. And I think that his legacy of healing racial tensions is something that people should look back on fondly and they should try and carry that forward. I had gotten what I wanted, the truth. But I didn't feel relief or satisfaction that the work had paid off. I only felt dread. Because I knew I had to tell people who were close to Willie. Members of the Brotherhood had welcomed me to their gatherings at a clubhouse on South Central Avenue, where they served barbecue, swapped tales about Big Willie, and talked trash about the races to come. I could feel that they trusted me to tell Willie's story. I thought this lie might devastate them. 
Imagine for a second you had a friend who was always there for you. When you were at a low point in your life, he helped you get back on your feet. Then, years later, you find out his life story was based on a lie. How would you feel? Most of all, I was concerned about how Fabian would take the news. I knew how much Big Willie meant to Fabian. He was one of his heroes. But that's not the only reason I was nervous. Fabian had been key to understanding Big Willie, but now I knew something that he didn't know. And I worried that could change everything between us. How would he respond? I wanted to tell him about the records as soon as I got them, face to face. But he was working as a teamster on a film in Hawaii. I had to ring him on the phone. So Fabian, um, you know I want to get right to it. Um, Obviously you're in Hawaii and it's the weekend, but I wanted to talk to you today because uh, I got some info and I I didn't think it could wait. Um, And I, I hate that I'm the person to tell you this. Okay. But but it, it turns out that the stories that Willie told about his military service, him going to Vietnam mm-hmm. and, and being a Green Beret, they, they aren't true. Wow. Okay. What about him getting shot? It didn't happen. Wow. That's too bad. And, you know, it was like a gut punch uh, when I found this out. And I, I can't imagine how it feels for you. But I just knew that I needed to tell you. You know, it, it doesn't change the man, you know, so he has faults. We all do. I got faults. At first, I was surprised by Fabian's reaction. Thinking about it, though, Fabian's quick pivot from shock to acceptance started to make sense. Willie had done so much for him, and nothing could change that. And at least some others seemed even less troubled. Longtime Brotherhood member Harlan Brown told me he was a draft dodger, and Willie's lie didn't matter to him. Brown said that what mattered to him was the good that Willie had done in the streets of L.A., not what he did or didn't do during the Vietnam War. But some Brotherhood members didn't take the news so well. Donald Galaz is an ardent believer in Big Willie and the Brotherhood's message of peace. He speaks publicly about the need for safe venues for drag racing, and he usually does it in his Brotherhood vest. And early on, he told me, over a plate of barbecue chicken at one of the Brotherhood's South L.A. hangouts, that Willie saved his life. He'd had issues with drugs and alcohol, but Willie spoke with him and helped him stop his slide. I don't know. I, I, I mean, I don't know why anybody would try to make something up like that. So, I mean, I, I, I don't understand that. You know, it's just, uh, it's just, it's a blow, a blow to the gut, and uh, I just, I don't know. <laughs> I'm lost for words, Daniel. You know. Absolutely. Why would somebody run around for the rest of their life, you know, uh, fabricating stories or anything like that? I, I just, it seems unreal to me. These conversations were tough, but they were necessary. Partly because of the questions they raised. Why would Willie do this? And does it change who he was? Fabian and I talked about this at length. First, I explained the records to him. I told Fabian that in a physical test during basic training... Willie earned two fours, the lowest possible score. At least according to some people, a score of four in any category could be a disqualifier for both entering the military and for continued military service. And he got two fours. But he wanted to be part of it and he wasn't able to. So that makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. Here's the thing. When when I, I signed up to go into the Marines and the recruiter talked me out of it. And it's the biggest regret of my life. It, it, I feel like I missed out on something in my life that I shouldn't have. 
Fabian could understand how devastating it would have been for Willie to be denied the chance to serve. I think he felt guilty he didn't fight. Because the survivor's guilt he had was real. He had that guilt, and it was deep. But you just feel it. You got the government telling you you're no good. I mean, that's an official word. We can't even accept you to die for the country. I mean, can you imagine that? I think he needed it for himself. And we shouldn't forget this. The lie also helped Willie get taken seriously by the powers that be in L.A., making it extremely useful to him in his mission. Maybe Willie felt he needed to tell this lie if he was going to achieve his dreams. The people of Watts, California, riot. Crying burn, baby burn. It is the most destructive race riot in American history. 3,000 square blocks of Los Angeles are turned into a battlefield. Big Willie's deceit got me thinking. If he wasn't in Vietnam from 1964 to 1966, then what if he actually witnessed the Watts riots of 1965? It matters because the uprising gave Willie an opportunity to bring people together, cementing his role as a peacemaker. This isn't just idle speculation. I interviewed someone who placed Willie and Watts during the riots. Here's what Pat Holmes, a friend of Otis Chandler's, told me. During the Watts riots, they cordoned off in the city L.A. And Otis drove down there in his Porsche and stopped at the police barricade and basically said, I'm going through. They warned him. Uh, he risked his life by going downtown during the riots to talk to the, the leaders. And I think that's where he met Big Willie. Assuming it's true, Willie having experienced the riots could explain why he so steadfastly pursued his mission of peace. I need a perspective from someone who knew what it was like to be a black man trying to change a city whose deep-seated problems had just been exposed by a deadly riot. So I called former LA City Councilman Robert Farrell, who was a major benefactor of Willie's, and I told him what I discovered. Farrell told me that he was unaware of Willie's lie, but wanted to make a few things clear. Let me give you a perspective that I have. Willie was in the military. It was during the Vietnam era. And for me, at that particular time, that was enough. He was doing things that were positive in the community at that time. Farrell was speaking from experience when he told me that it would have been incredibly tough for Willie as a black public figure. It was rough. There were moments and uh, law enforcement was not that nice in looking at us or thinking about us. Please remember the context of the streets of Los Angeles when Willie was out there and active. I had been thinking about this context a lot. It's 1966. Willie wants to make a difference. And he's a black man from New Orleans without a college degree. He's been promoting street races in South LA. And he has a vision of how he can use cars to bring people together. But the cops and politicians he needs to help him were on the watch a year earlier when South LA erupted. So he lies to create a version of himself that's palatable to people whose support he desperately needs. And then, over the years, he gets better and better at conjuring this character, in part because he's learned how to do it from his time in Hollywood, where he's seen the power of myth-building firsthand. He creates a new version of himself, one all sorts of people can embrace. Because this is also part of our, our culture in this region. Uh, to a certain extent, la-la land. Images are created.
how you feel about Willie's lies is probably tangled up in how you feel about so many other things. You may be angry and find him irredeemable. You may be compassionate and note the lives he truly changed. Lives like that of Lloyd Gavin, a childhood friend. Gavin's the one Willie told he'd one day join the Army's special ops. As a young black man coming of age in segregated New Orleans, Gavin was inspired by Willie's dreams and went on to become a university professor. I would look back the sum total of what he's done. What is the sum total? There are people who were hobbling and couldn't make it through society. He gave me something that I developed a backbone and I learned to walk. A person like that is a prophet. It may not be a perfect prophet, but they have done something that most people will never take the time to do, and that is they help another person. Gavin lost touch with Willie after high school. He doesn't know what Willie was doing in the mid-1960s when he was supposedly in Vietnam. Though it now looks like Willie may have been in Watts during the riots, this period of his life remains a frustrating blind spot. I had hoped Willie's siblings would have answers and help me make sense of the lie. I tried to reach Jean on the phone, but she didn't answer or get back to me. I wound up emailing her my findings. She didn't directly address them, but said in one message, there is nothing you could say or write that would impact our memories of Big Willie. I did speak with Don on the phone. I told him what I'd learned and asked him if he knew about it. Don said no. I tried to press on, but he told me that he didn't want to talk anymore and hung up. There was another person I was hoping to speak to about this. Someone who knew Willie during the period in question. His wife. I'm not talking about Tomiko. She died 12 years ago. I couldn't ask her about Willie's deception. But Willie's military file noted he was married in 1966. I knew that Willie didn't wed Tomiko until later. This was a prior marriage, a brief one Willie never talked about. It was a secret. I called the woman and we spoke. She confirmed the marriage, but declined to comment. I sent her a letter, but she never responded. I wish there was more I could tell you. So I'm left pondering my earlier conversation with Don, the one where he told me some things shouldn't be discussed. I keep returning to something he said that reveals his love for Willie. Whenever he hears a fast car open up its throttle on a stretch of deserted asphalt, he thinks of his big brother. I think about him all the time. See, where I'm staying at night, you can hear the car racing up and down the street. I just think I bet you there's no big Willie. When I first heard about Willie, I was intrigued enough by the story to devote a year to a major reporting project about him. Back then, I wanted to know how he got to be Big Willie, a man with a theme song. But when I learned about his lies, it changed everything. He had been a superhero, and that was instantly taken away. The thing is, superheroes aren't real. But people like Willie, ones who make mistakes, ones who tell really big lies, they are. As much as I was fascinated by the first version of Willie, I'm not sure I could ever really understand him. But the new version, the real one, makes more sense. And yet he never shared that real version. Even before I knew Willie had fabricated the story of his service, I thought his existence as Big Willie was a lonely one. So few people got to really know him. 
and knowing about the lies, I think he must have been more lonely than I imagined. As for Fabian, we had dinner about two weeks after I broke the news to him. We met at Musome Frank, an old show business haunt in Hollywood. Fabian had always wanted to try it. I had wondered if the conversation would be awkward, but as we drank icy gin Gibsons and tucked into medium-rare ribeyes, we slipped into the familiar rhythm of a conversation about Willie, the Brotherhood, and street racing. We didn't talk much about Willie's military history. This was the casual banter of two friends, and I was realizing that this is what we were becoming. After dinner, as cars sped by on Hollywood Boulevard, we finally talked about what had happened. The reality is, people are going to find this out sooner or later, and if you try to hide something like this, you're just going to tarnish what you're doing and talking about it. So why cover it up? Why try to make a lie out of it? We jumped in an old Honda Civic that Fabian had borrowed from Brotherhood member Glenn Drevere, the one who goes by Nervous Glenn. We drove for a long time across our darkened city. It was nearly midnight. A page was turning. Fabian seemed at ease behind the wheel, and I mostly listened. I was realizing that this was the first time I'd ever been in a car with him for more than a few minutes. He talked about everything. Big Willie, the hidden satanic messages in Led Zeppelin songs, his teenage membership in a street gang, and fate. There's no accident me meeting you, you meeting me, me meeting Willie. None of this was an accident. And that's just the way I see life. You get dealt what you get dealt, and you deal with it, and you move forward with it, you know? We kept driving. Traffic thinned out. The neon signs of the boulevard blinked off. A brisk breeze hustled trash across the street. And buses sighed as they pulled away from empty stops. Soon enough, we were nearing Los Feliz, where I knew Fabian had grown up. He pointed out the restaurant he said had been a front for the mob, the theater where he saw his first movie, and the park that he and his pals used to break into after hours. Then he showed me the apartment building where he had lived. He remembered it all so vividly, but that world is gone. A lot of places we race at don't exist anymore. A lot of streets we race at don't exist anymore. A lot of the cars don't exist anymore. A lot of the people don't exist anymore. Big Willie was gone. And the version of Big Willie that Fabian and so many others loved, he was gone too. But Fabian was okay with that. And I could see how that was possible for him. Eventually, we turned onto my street. I had no special words to convey my appreciation for the way Fabian had handled this. From the insight he had offered to the way he'd counseled others in the Brotherhood who were also trying to make sense of this news. All I could muster was goodbye. All right, man. Sounds good. Thanks Thank for the ride. No worries. Not sure I had a speed shift. You never speed shift? But Fabian wasn't ready for the night to end. Suddenly, we were off again. And I was getting a lesson in speed shifting. We were doing high-speed runs up and down my street, the Civic jerking as Fabian slammed it into each successive gear. Maybe Fabian didn't know exactly what to say either. So he did what he does best. He shared some of his street racing know-how. Now, when you speed shift, all the way to the floor, get some RPM, and then now I'm going to use the clutch. See how fast that was? Yeah. Because it's a lightning shift. It's faster than an automatic. It was a skill Fabian taught himself when he was a teenager. He learned other street racing tricks from Big Willie, but not this one. That's the thing about heroes. They can give you so much, but ultimately it's on you to figure some things out. Before long, we speed-shifted our way back to my house. All right, dude. It's going to be a while, right? I think so. Fabian was heading back to Hawaii in a few days. I didn't know when I'd see him again. But I knew it would involve some fast cars, a late night, and one way or another, we'd wind up chasing the ghost of Big Willie again. Even if he was a different Big Willie from here on out. Um, all right, well, hit me up before you go. 
Okay. All right, drive safe. All right, we'll see you. See ya. This revelation about Big Willie Robinson changes his legacy. But there's more to his story. And in spite of his faults, he's still someone who did so much good. That's how Fabian remembers Big Willie. And Fabian remains forever loyal to him. But in the 1980s, they didn't see eye to eye. Racing had returned to the streets, and Fabian, honestly, he didn't want Big Willie around. I was probably his biggest protester. I I couldn't stand him being there. I was like, why are you here? Why are you bothering us? As drug dealers infiltrated the scene, the stakes skyrocketed. 10, 20, $30,000 on a single race. Fabian was focused on the prize. But Big Willie, by then in his 40s, worried things were getting out of control. The unity that defined the brotherhood was tested. That's next time on Larger Than Life. Larger Than Life is reported and written by me, your host, Daniel Miller, for the Los Angeles Times. Our producer is Grant Irving. The editor is Catherine St. Louis. Kimmy Yoshino is our story supervisor. The executive producer is Jonathan Hirsch. Additional production by Karin Navatia. Sound design and mixing by Daniel Turek. Music by Nolan Schneider and Grant Irving. The sound engineer is Mike Heflin. Research by Scott Wilson. Fact-checking by Laura Bullard. And copy editing by Rubena Azhar. Larger Than Life was recorded at Los Angeles Times Studios in El Segundo, California. The archival audio in this episode is courtesy of Film Archives and Peter Jones Productions. For more on Big Willie Robinson, including videos, photo galleries, and essays, visit latimes.com slash larger-than-life. Join our Facebook group. You can find us at Larger Than Life Podcast to discuss the story. And I'm on Twitter at Daniel N. Miller. You can also learn more about the story by subscribing to our Play Next newsletter, Go to latimes.com slash playnext. Larger Than Life is available on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and give us a review. It really helps spread the word. Larger Than Life is a production of LA Times Studios with support from Neon Hum Media.